Early in my life, one of my biggest relational problems was the fact that I was overly optimistic. And I know it doesn't sound like it would be a relational problem, but it really was. But before I share with you how my optimism became a problem, I want to give you a picture of what my optimism looked like, because there are different spectrums on the optimism scale. And to do it, I'm going to share an old story that years and years ago, I think I shared, but haven't for many years. And it's about a dad who, who was dealing with two kids who are on opposite sides of the attitude spectrum. One was overly pessimistic. I mean, dark, dark, dark. Nothing in the world was ever going to turn out right. All the expectations were filled with clouds and shadows and storms. And the other one was on the other side, overly obsessive, optimistic. Everything was going to be great and everything was sunny. And this dad realized that for these kids to make it in life, they had to get some balance. And so whether it was good parenting or bad parenting, he came up with a solution to balance them out at Christmas time. For the overly pessimistic child, he decided he was going to show him that, that the expectations could be met and actually exceeded sometimes. You know, there's reason to have high hopes. And so he gave the kid all the greatest presents available in culture of that day. And yet the kid, of course, you know, oh, they're going to break. Oh, this is going to happen. Well, you know, and it just didn't work. So the overly optimistic kid, the dad, whether for good or for bad, came up with an idea to balance him out. He decided to give him a load full of manure. And uh, that's what he did. Put it in the garage and the kid went into the garage to get his Christmas present and the dad came in and he's swimming in the manure. I mean, crawling around in it, taking deep dives in the manure, and he came out long enough, saw his dad, and said, Dad, there's gotta be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> so, you know, the parenting style didn't work, but that's a picture of me and my optimism in my early days. I, I was the boy in the manure. And when it came to relationships, this proved to be a problem because I wasn't aware of, I, I didn't have the capacity, hadn't developed the capacity to see negative realities. Everything was bright, shiny, and sunny in my life. I, I, I wasn't able to see the landmines and the pitfalls and the destructive potential that exist in our relationships. I was so focused on the idea of the pony in my relationships that I couldn't see any of the manure. And as a result, I made a ton of mistakes. Mistakes that could have been avoided if I had been more aware of the reality of what we face in relationships. And so as we continue in this series, relationship stuff, the stuff I'm going to throw out as we end this series is going to be about those negative possibilities that can happen in a relationship that we have to be aware of. And so that's what I've called the conversation this weekend, be aware. And here's the truth I want to develop. In every single moment of every single relationship of our lives, we have the potential to build up or tear down. In every relationship, at every moment, of that relationship in whatever sphere, work or family or, or marriage, whatever. We have the potential to build the other person up or tear them down, to build up the relationship or to tear it down. 
that's the potential we have. The Bible makes this really clear. Look at Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That's, that, that's the passage I got this truth from. Because it's saying, look at, we in every moment of our lives, in every relationship, have the ability to make an effort that will lead to peace or it will lead to conflict. We have the ability to make every effort to do something that leads to what it says edification, to building up is what that word means, or if we don't do that, to doing what? To tearing down. It's true in every single moment of every relationship. Uh, look at, just for another example in the Bible, Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only let come out of your mouths what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And so here again is the truth. He's saying, look, at we in every moment in every relationship can use words and commit ourselves to actions that, that literally are unwholesome, that are destructive, that tear down or that do the opposite. They're helpful for building others up because they meet their needs. They benefit those that we're in a relationship with in every sphere. So I really want to get this kind of ingrained in our mindset for this conversation to take a deep root effect in our lives. We, each moment that we're in a relationship in any sphere of our lives, we're either building up or tearing down. Healthy relationships are where the building up wins, where the intentionality wins, where we understand both sides of the spectrum, but we make the investments that will lead to positive outcomes. If we're going to experience and enjoy relationships that, that last, then it takes more than just focusing on the positive things that we can do, which is what this series has basically been about up to this point. But we also have to be aware of, and we have to seek to stay away from the things that can tear apart, that can blow up, destroy a relationship. So here's the application in this final week of relationship stuff. If we're going to experience and enjoy relationships that last, healthy relationships that are ongoing, we have to be aware of and avoid what I'm calling relationship destroyers. And I call it this because, well, I've done it. I, I finally started waking up to the fact that my choices, my behavioral patterns, my lack of awareness of the negative possibilities was leading me to, or at least allowing me to throw hand grenades to blow up the relationships I was in, relationship destroyers. And I, I just want you to know I'm not alone in this. We all experience this reality and we have to overcome them. So I've just thrown together some of the relationship destroyers that I've experienced and confirmed with scripture and in hopes that it might help you. And I, I don't want you to think that I believe everything I'm about to say is going to be relevant to every single one of you. Of course, that's not true. But I know for a fact that some of what I'm going to deliver this weekend is going to be extremely relevant to all of you. And my hope is, and why we call the series Relationship Stuff, as I throw all this stuff out, that you will find a couple of inspirational issues out of this conversation that can help you advance in your relationships in the different spheres of your life. 
I mean, I just don't think that a talk from a guy standing on a platform in front of thousands of people can totally transform every relationship to what it needs to be. But I know for a fact that something can happen with one of these thoughts or principles that can reshape how you behave in a relationship in your life that can change the trajectory of it. And can you imagine how different our lives would be if that happened in each of our lives this weekend? And that's my prayer. And that's my goal. And I can't talk about every issue involved with each of these things. I can only throw it out and explain it a bit. But my hope would be if one of these things is something you're wrestling with or needing to focus on, that you would take what I say and then take a deep dive on it on your own. Because you know where life changes when we start taking ownership of the issues. And I hope that happens out of this, this talk and this series. The very first relationship destroyer that we need to be aware of and avoid like the plague in all the areas of our relationships, whether work or home or community, is, is the compromising of integrity. Compromising integrity is a relationship destroyer. Now, of course, we have to understand what integrity is. I mean, we all have a sense of the idea, but the word means complete or whole or one. And the idea is... When someone has integrity, they're the same on the inside as they are on the out. They're the same in reality as they're presenting themselves to be. They're, they're, they're making promises and keeping promises. They're claiming values and they're living those values. Do you know what I'm saying? They, they say words of love and then they live actions of love. They have integrity. And when we compromise our integrity, when we show our lives to be different than our words or our values, when we live differently than our promises, it's a relationship destroyer. Look at how the Bible says it in Proverbs 10:9: whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Of course, no one has to be insecure around them. No one has to wonder if they're going to keep their promises. Will they be here next time? Are they going to live it out this time or not? Of course, they walk securely, but Whoever takes crooked paths, you know, compromises integrity. They'll be found out. It blows up relationships. It destroys relationships. It happens in the marketplace, doesn't it? When an employer promises certain things and then doesn't live up to it. It happens with employees to employers, doesn't it? When they promise that they'll live up to the expectation of the job and they have no intention of doing it, or if they did, they change. It happens in marriage, doesn't it? And it happens with parents and kids and kids and parents. And it happens with teachers and students and students with teachers. It happens, sadly, with pastors and the people they're privileged to, to pastor. And it happens with the people to their pastor. It happens in all of our relationships. And the reason compromising integrity is a relationship destroyer is because it destroys trust and all relationships are built upon trust. The only thing that makes a relationship healthy and valuable is that we can trust that person. And so when I compromise integrity, whether intentional or not, whether just because I'm thoughtless or I've made an intentional decision, it's going to destroy your relationship. And you can be as rosy and optimistic as you want to be. It'll be okay. I can, you know, be this. But if you compromise your integrity, no one's going to see you as a glass half full. They're going to see you as a relationship that's fully empty. 
Compromising integrity is a destroyer of relationships. And it happens at every level. I was talking recently to a, a younger adult male who's married and has kids of his own, but his parents experienced divorce. And in the wake of their divorce, he's a parent himself, married himself, having kids himself. In the wake of that divorce, his life was turned upside down because all of a sudden he didn't know what he could trust from his childhood. Can I trust what they taught me about values? Can I trust the memories I have? Can I trust what they said? And it turned him upside down, even though he was an adult. You see, compromising integrity breaks trust, and trust is the glue that holds relationships together. And we are in a world where people do what comes naturally with no thought of integrity. No wonder relationships are so hard in this world. Another relationship destroyer that we need to be aware of and avoid is selfishness. Selfishness. Now, I know it's almost like you say, we did all the work to get here for you to tell us something like that? I get it. I mean, because everyone knows selfishness is bad. You hear the word selfishness, bad. You know, it's like you could have probably put this on the list of things that aren't good for relationships, selfishness. But what's interesting, as much as we know selfishness is bad, as much as we could author the idea that selfishness is bad, we still live selfishly in our relationships. In the home, in the marketplace, in all of our environments of relationships, we live with selfishness. Look what the Bible says about it, Proverbs 18.1. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends. And against all sound judgment, even though they know it's messed up to be selfish, even they know it hurts, they still start quarrels. What is an unfriendly person? This is the person who does not have healthy relationships. The unfriendly person doesn't have a healthy marriage. The unfriendly person doesn't have healthy friendship. The unhealthy person isn't a great parent or isn't a great kid. The unhealthy person is not a great employer or employee. I'm sorry, they're not, because they're unfriendly. They're, they're, they don't care about the relationships. They care about themselves. They're selfish. James 4.1 is a New Testament book, but it's called the New Testament Proverbs Book of Wisdom because it says a lot that Proverbs says. Look at what it says in James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Yeah. All the wars we have with each other relationally in every sphere of our life come because what you want for you is different than what I want for me, and we go to war over it. Selfishness lies at the root of all relational conflict. As it turned out, I, I was gifted in the area of selfishness growing up. I mean, had special talents at it, and I found out by experience that it does tear down relationships. It is explosive in that environment. In fact, it's opposite of what relationships are require. You know, trust building and unselfishness. And so to help me overcome selfishness, since it was so natural for me to be selfish in my optimistic, sunshiny life, I, uh, I had to develop an understanding of when it was occurring in my life. So I, I literally had to analyze my selfishness 
and figure out what started occurring in my relationships when I was functioning in selfishness so that I could create signposts or I could see the symptoms to stop myself. And I'm going to tell you, you, we're all selfish by nature and some of us have kind of stopped ourselves in it and others of us just keep going forward in it. And for me to stop, I had to see it first. And so some symptoms that I just thought I'd share with you, throw them out. This, is, this isn't on your outline or anything. This is extra bonus material for you overachievers, okay? You're being selfish in a relationship when you're failing to consider the feelings of others. And I, I have to tell you, I can, I can just just run over the feelings of others, not even meaning to do it. I'm just so focused on what I want, what I'm trying to accomplish that I can, I can fail to consider their feelings. And in fact, in every fight I've ever had, in every relationship I've ever had, at the center of the fight, I wasn't saying, I wonder how they feel. I was telling them how I feel, and I didn't even listen to what they were saying about how they feel, because I was thinking about how I could convince them about how how I feel being more important than that. Do you, do you fight like this or do you fight like, how do you feel? Oh, never mind. You don't even fight if you're like that. And so I, it helps me when I start bulldozing someone's feelings to go, whoa, I don't want to destroy this relationship. I want to build it up. I don't want to tear it down. I'm, I don't want to be a relational destroyer. I want to be a relational builder. As a leader, I can do this. As a husband, I can do this. As a dad, I can do this. Another symptom for me is failing to value the suggestions of others. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that I don't know I'm supposed to value the suggestions of others. I know that. Come on. I, I've read so many leadership books, I can't count them. And I, everything's about, you know, you have to have shared ownership and you have to have collaboration, you know, because the only way people are going to be motivated isn't if they're told to do it, but if they want to do it, if they own it themselves. And so as a leader, as an example, in those relationships, like you have to ask, what do you guys think? You know, what are your suggestions? How do you feel? Let's collaborate on these issues. And so I'm pretty good at throwing it out and then I tell them what we're going to do and it has nothing to do with anything they've suggested so it's like and it's it's actually worse to collaborate and then not to hear anything than it is to never even do that and it's the same thing in our home it's like you know honey where do you want to eat and I listen and then I tell her where we're going to eat you know that kind of thing is it means we're being selfish ever seen that in your life Failing to allow for the mistakes of others is another symptom of my selfishness. It's really odd how forgiving I am of myself, but how hard I can be on those who make mistakes that aren't me. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I, can, I, I mean, I get upset at myself when I fail, but I'm, I'm going to forgive myself. I just am. It's easier to hold other people hostage to unforgiveness than it is to myself. And... It's just a sign of selfishness. Do you, do you hear me? I'm going to tell you, some of us here in this community right now or watching somewhere around the world are unwilling to forgive someone for something. And I don't mean affirm what they're doing, let them off the hook, become their best friend. I mean forgive them. Stop holding that grudge against them. We refuse. But we've forgiven ourselves for big things and we want everybody else to forgive us, which means what about us at the core? We're selfish. For me, another symptom is failing to invest in the needs of others. I, I'm pretty good at 
making sure that I invest in my own needs, but, but relationships aren't built by getting everybody to invest in my needs. Relationships are built by me investing in their needs as well, right? This is true in work. Some of you leaders just keep sucking your people dry. Some of you employees keep sucking your corporation or leaders dry. And some of you in romantic relationships do the same. You're take, 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 but you never give. How sad is that? Look at Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now there's a healthy relationship. If we're going to build healthy relationships, enjoy and experience them, we have, to, we have to be aware of and avoid another relationship destroyer, uncontrolled anger. Uncontrolled anger. And I'll be honest, this is not my biggest flaw by any stretch. I am basically not. Remember, the, I'm the kid crawling around in the manure by nature. I'm not like controlled by anger generally. It's, it doesn't mean I've never been, you know, unleashed in anger. I have. And I remember those moments profoundly because there aren't that many of them. But here's what's weird. I have found that for me, it's not uncontrolled anger, but often it's unmonitored intensity. I'm an intense person. And I mean, I want to get the dream. I want to get that thing done. I want to go for that. And I can be passionate, sincere, and have all the right motivations. But my intensity can be so cutting that it can seem like this. And, and it's a relationship destroyer. But we happen to be living in a culture of uncontrolled anger. It's destroying everything. I, I, I love information. I've always loved news. But you know what? I don't watch much news anymore because to me, it's just uncontrolled anger on both sides. It's crazy. And I thought news was supposed to be objective, right? My dad was in politics and, you know, I was always interested in politics. But I hate politics in this country these days because it's just a bunch of uncontrolled anger on either side and it's so destructive and everybody's right and everybody's wrong and it's horrible. And look what the Bible says about uncontrolled anger. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who's patient calms a quarrel. And you might say, well, I, yeah, I'm really angry about the politics or about the news, but hey, I, I don't bring that into my relationships wrong. Uncontrolled anger is not walled off from one environment to the next. It spills into everything and destroys. And it's a relationship destroyer because uh, Proverbs 12, 18 says the words of the reckless pierce like swords. You know, here's what I learned with my intensity unhinged, unmonitored. I can't take words back, but those works, those words have long lingering impact associated with them. Uncontrolled anger is a relationship destroyer. If you've got issues here, look at your relationships in every arena of your life depend on it. You, you getting a grip on this. Another relationship destroyer we need to be aware of and we need to avoid is jealousy. And I know, like selfishness, first of all, it's like, really, of course, we know that's a problem. In one side, you think that's really, yeah, it is a relationship destroyer. But on another side, we kind of forgive jealousy as just being kind of cute and almost positive. 
It's like, come on. All this jealousy I have, doesn't it help you to know how much I love you? No, it helps me to know how dysfunctionally empty and insecure you are. It's a relationship destroyer. It's not a relationship builder. In every moment, in every relationship, I have the ability to build up or tear down. And if I'm living in jealousy, I'm only tearing down because you know, jealousy is always built on the foundation of insecurity. I'm insecure about my place in this corporation. I'm insecure in my place as a staff member. I am, I'm insecure in my place in this marriage. I'm insecure in my place in this family or this church. And, and it just, it literally drives a wedge in relationships. And the Bible says it. Look at Proverbs 27.4. Anger, you know this uncontrolled anger thing? It's cruel, man. And fury... It's overwhelming. You know, the loss of control and anger, it's just like a tsunami. It floods everything it is. It's horrible. But then look what the Bible says. But who can stand before jealousy? That's odd, isn't it? God's actually saying as devastating as uncontrolled anger and fury can be, jealousy is just as absolutely destructive. And of course, jealousy takes all kinds of forms and all kinds of different relationships. But let me just kind of point out one. I have found that, that the most popular form of jealousy is where we begrudge others what they have and we don't. You know, we begrudge their advantages. We begrudge their opportunities. We begrudge their success. We begrudge their, their wealth. We begrudge their happiness in relation. We, we begrudge them. It's jealousy. It's, it means that we think that we're nothing compared to what they've had, and that, which means we're valuing our life all wrong. It's just really pitiful. And it happens no matter who you are, what positions you have, how successful you are. I have found that sometimes the most powerful, successful people in the world are still the people driven most by insecurity and jealousy. Insecurity is just the broad subject that leads to jealousy in this arena. A good example of this is in the Bible, King Saul. We talked about his son, Jonathan, last weekend in the talk. King Saul was replaced by King David. But when King Saul was king, he cared more about his reputation and how people viewed him than he did about the country. Because, you know, as king of a country, any victory for the country was a victory for the king, right? That's what the king should have been after. And so King David was all about the country and he was out there as a warrior doing great things for the country, but King Saul got insecure. In fact, the people of Israel were singing a song in the day. You can read about in 1 Samuel 18. They were, they were singing and dancing the song, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands. And a great king would have said, isn't it awesome that I have warriors that are better at being a warrior than I am. And look what's happening to Israel and giving them credit and giving them empowerment and letting them go. But no, he was so insecure and jealous that he made his life mission to remove David so that no one would think David was better than him. He wanted to kill him. And I'm just telling you, jealousy is not cute. Jealousy is destructive. Jealousy is not a positive. Jealousy is a negative. And if we're going to have healthy relationships, we need to recognize, be aware of, and avoid it. So if that's your issue, you might want to spend some time on it. 
If, if we're going to understand, be aware of, and avoid relationship destroyers, then we need to recognize avoidance as one of them. Avoidance. And I'm telling you, we're great at avoidance. Avoidance is where we pretend it's not there. We purposely don't discuss it. Some of us use the silent treatment, but it's not just those who have the silent treatment going. It's all of us, because some of us talk over the problem, but we're still not addressing the problem. Others of us are silent about the problem. Most of us pillow our heads pretending there is no problem, but it's a relationship destroyer, because you will never experience the relationship that is available to you in any arena of life as long as you're playing hide-and-seek with the person. Avoidance. Look at what the Bible says about it. Proverbs 15, 12. Mockers resent correction. Mockers are destructive people. People who tear down, not build up. That's what a mocker is. And so people who tear down instead of building up resent correction. They don't want someone pointing out they're wrong. They don't want even positive criticism. No way. And so what do they do? They avoid the wise. They avoid the people who know they're messed up. It's called avoidance. And we do this with each other in our relationships in every arena of life. And we do it because it feels like it's a solution for the relationship. This is a problem. We're facing this problem. And just, you know, burying it and avoiding it will help us be happy and move forward. No, you know what happens when you avoid? You allow the problem to continue to exist, to continue to grow, and to continue to destroy any hope of health and enjoyment in that relationship at all. We can't avoid. It's impossible. And at the end, it's just a destroyer. I mean, think about how dumb it would be if someone told you, you have an aggressive form of curable cancer. Well, I'm just going to avoid it. You have an aggressive form of curable cancer that will kill you if you avoid it. Yeah, but I, it's just tough to talk about. And this is what's going on in our relationships. At work, it happens all the time. We go underground. We talk to everybody but the person who can solve our problem. We talk to everyone except the person whom we can help get over their problem. We do it in our marriages. We do it in our parenting style. It's like, God forbid, we teach our kids something. They might call social services. Better for you to teach your kids something and them call social services than you to be a deadbeat parent. I mean, we really need to start teaching them. Well, they teach them at school. Good luck with that. Matthew 18, 15 tells us how we solve this problem. If your brother or sister sins, if there's a problem between you, go. Don't avoid. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen, you've won them over. Now, you know, another passage says we should speak the truth in love. So... Some of us don't avoid the problem, but we love to explode the problem. We need to make sure we're trying to win them, not hurt them, build them up, not tear them down. Are you with me on this? Do you see it? Some of you need to deal with the avoidance. Some of you have been avoiding for a long time, and I'm telling you, you might still have the relationship, but it's not a relationship you're experiencing or enjoying. Stop doing it. If we're going to really have healthy relationships, then we need to be aware of and avoid holding on to hatred. And I'm t 
Just as we're an angry culture, we're a hateful and spiteful culture. And look what the Bible says in Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but lovers love. I guess lovers cover things too, but love covers all wrongs. What I'm doing is I'm letting that process, I'm letting it go through your life so you can get back to what I'm really talking about, all right? That's kind of where I'm at. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all wrongs. We have to let go of our hatred. We have to let go of it. It spills into every part of our lives. Some of you are really filled with hatred at work. And I want you to know it doesn't stay at work. Some of you are really filled with hatred in your personal relationships, and I want you to know it doesn't stay in your personal relationships. We have to deal with it, which really brings me to the last landmine, to the last relationship destroyer. In fact, I just need to tell you before I share it with you, this last relationship destroyer is behind every other destroyer. The reason we hold on to hate, the reason we're uncontrolled in our anger, the reason we're insecure and jealous, the every other issue, the reason we're selfish and trying to fill up our needs, it all comes down to this. We're trying to experience love without God. We're loving without God. We're living without God. We're in relationships without God, which is absolutely never going to work. Because look what the Bible says in 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8 and 19. It says, dear friends, let us love one another. And this isn't just romantic and intimate love. This is all relational love. Let us love one another. And know this, love comes from God. So if you're trying to love another person without God, you aren't plugged into the source. And this is everyone who genuinely loves, not driven by jealousy or hatred or, or all these other issues, but genuinely loves, has been born of God, literally transformed by God, redeemed, made new, and knows God, knows his love. But whoever does not love, driven by all these other things, living in avoidance and anger, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. I know this series is called Relationship Stuff, but I just need to tell you at the end of this series that all of our relationship stuff and all of our relationship baggage and all the solutions for all our relational stuff and relational baggage comes back to our relationship with God, every part of it, every part of it. The vertical relationship with God is what fills us up for the horizontal relationships we're supposed to have with one another. And when you're not getting filled up, you can't love. It's impossible. You can't keep driving your car if the tank is empty on gas. You can't keep spending money if you don't have a bank account with money. Well, yes, you, I guess you can in this country. That's a whole other issue. You, you can't ever genuinely love if you're not getting filled up on love. You cannot do it, and God is the only source. If you found one of these relationship destroyers being a little bit relevant to your experience in relationships, then you need to know that the solution comes by connecting to God in that area. 
You're driven by jealousy. It's built on insecurity. You need to turn to God to realize you're fearfully and wonderfully made and he's not going anywhere and he loves you and find your security in him and then you don't have to be driven by insecurity anymore. If you're filled with hatred, then you need to solve your problems with your disappointment with God in this world and let him fill you with his love and you'll no longer have to be driven by hatred. And the same with every one of these areas. You need to stop trying to love without God. We love because he first loved us. And so here as we end this relationship series and no, I'm going to give you a solution for the landmines that we all experience in life at the end of this talk and then give you a thought for the end of the series. But before we get there, I think it's time that all of us make sure that our connection with God is right. Some of you say, I'm a Christian. I've been a believer. I've been walking with God for a long time, but you're having all kinds of problems in this area. You, you might be a Christian and you might be a follower of Jesus, but you've dis disconnected from his love in your life. And so now you're functioning in a dysfunctional way in your relationships. You need to get it fixed. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I encourage you to do that right now. And some of you are here and you've never been connected to God's love. You've never been born of God. You've never experienced his, the power of his death on the cross to forgive you and the power of his resurrection to give you new life. This is your moment. So let's all bow in just a word of prayer just before I finish the idea of this talk and series. And, and if you already have a relationship with God, talk to him, would you? But if you're here and you want to start a relationship with God, pray with me. Take my words in this prayer and make them your personal words of faith to God in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I, I'm turning to you right now. I need your love. You died on the cross for my sin because you love me. And I confess my sin. I acknowledge it. I'm guilty. And I'm trusting you to forgive me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me new life. And right now, by faith, I'm receiving that new life. Take the old away and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before I give you this kind of overarching solution to this talk and then the final thought for the series, if you prayed with me, would you let me know? We, we make it so easy, and we're, we're right now one church in four locations where I'm talking, you might not know this, those of you here in Plymouth, but right now, Grosseal, hey, you're, we're live right now talking, and you in Brighton, Northridge, Brighton, we're talking live right now, the same thing with Celine, I'm so thankful for all of you, and if you just prayed with me, I just want to encourage you, let me know, would you? Take out the program that says relational stuff that we gave you, and inside is a connection card, and Fill it out, and there are two boxes that are relevant. One of them says that you prayed to receive Jesus for the first time. The other says you prayed to renew your faith. Whichever one's right for you, check that off. And we want to give you a Bible and some next steps in your relationship with God that you can take. And all you have to do is fill that out, check that off, and then put it in the box as you leave. All of our campus environments right outside the auditorium are boxes. We'd love to send you a Bible and that, in, that information. And if you're watching online, hit the What Next button. We'll do the same thing for you, okay? But here's how I want to wind this whole thing down. I, I, want to, I want to acknowledge that we're all going to blow it, that we all have blow it. So here's the question that I think can help us to wind down this talk. What should you do when you blow it? Because I mean, this is, look at it. I know what relationship series are like. I, I get it. 
A lot of people don't want to come to a relationship series because it's like they know everyone they're in relationship with is going to go, you know, look at them. like. In fact, I'm bringing this series to an end this week, not because there's nothing else to say about relationships. I'm bringing it to an end because Roxanne's wanting me to actually live out this crap that I've been teaching, you know? I mean, and I, it's like, oh my gosh, I've got enough accountability now. I'm done. But... So I do not, it's like you can hear a series like this and you can feel like, oh my gosh, I've blown it, I've blown it, I've blown it. And you have, and so have I. So what do you do when you've blown it? Look what Jesus says, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar to God, you're worshiping God. And while you're worshiping God, you remember that your brother has something against you. This probably happened to many of you during this talk. It's like, I mean, here we are worshiping God, right? And all of a sudden, all these relational difficulties popped into your mind. Look what he says. You remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. So what should we do when we've blown it? We shouldn't pretend we haven't. Shouldn't create perceptions that we haven't. Here we are worshiping and all of us have to acknowledge we've blown it. So what does Jesus tell us to do in that passage? He says, honestly evaluate yourself. He says, if you're worshiping me and you think, oh, it comes to mind, oh, there's a problem between me and that. And so during the talk, I know it's come to your mind. Honestly evaluate those relationships, the work relationships, those principles as it relates to that. And then when you discover something, Jesus says, you need to take the next step, which is sincerely initiate. Don't avoid it. Sincerely initiate a loving but truthful conversation about that issue. Sincerely initiate, and for what purpose? Jesus says it right there. In order to lovingly seek to reconcile, which is the next point. To lovingly seek to reconcile. To get the relationship right. To win it back. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with every person that you've ever had a problem with and all that. It's not about that, but it is about not carrying the, the poison of a bad relationship and doing everything you can. Look at Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible. If someone that you had conflict with has died and they're gone, it's not possible. You have to give it to God and let that thing go. You've blown it, so have I. Okay. But if it's possible, if they're there, if there's a way to engage it, then you need to do it. And then it says, as far as it depends on you, which means you're not held responsible for their response. You're held responsible for yours. I can pillow my head at night with a lot of people mad at me as long as I've done everything I can to pursue reconciliation. But pillowing my head is really tough when I know that I'm a part of the problem. The same is true with you. So honestly evaluate, sincerely initiate, and lovingly seek to reconcile. And now here's what I want to do at the end of this series, because I, if you go back and listen to the whole series, or you've been here for the whole series, it's like, isn't it like, doesn't it add to the gravity of your life? It's like, it's not like this, it's not like helium balloons floating you away. It's kind of like anvil sitting on your shoulders. And I, I've gone through these principles. I've had to create these conversations each weekend. And I'm telling you, it's like, oh my gosh, it's hard. And so I want to end with a final word that maybe can put some helium in your balloons, but, you know, put something to help lift you up again. And, and here's, here's the final word. 
Our failures don't have to be final. This is so important. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The old is gone, the new has come. Once forgiven by God, we need to forgive ourselves. And many of us don't and haven't, which is why we keep doing relationships in dysfunctional and destructive ways, even though we've been forgiven. Once forgiven by God, we must forgive ourselves. We have to stop living in the old, defining ourselves according to the old, and start living in the new, defining ourselves by Christ. And when we do, here's what happens. The relationship destroyers are no more natural. Now relationship builders are natural. All my life, I've been more naturally a destroyer than a builder when it came to relationships. But with all of what Jesus has offered in me, it has become more natural and compelling to do the positive build-up sides than the negative tear-down side. Doesn't mean I do it perfectly. Doesn't mean I'm out of the hole. No, 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 the hole was deep. I'm still climbing. But it means it's more natural, which is why Jesus says, in me, you'll be the light of the world. You want to be light in the world? Let Jesus define you and your relationships, and everything will change. So there, for your consumption, is some relationship stuff. My prayer is it helps. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Friends